Our Idle Hands, Folklore, Fiber Arts, and Witchcraft, hosted by Severely Mame. Welcome back to Our Idle Hands. My name is Severely Mame, and today we've got an episode where I am alone. I've had some episodes with really wonderful guests so far, but my initial concept for Our Idle Hands had me doing an episode by myself and an episode with a guest every other week. The idea was that I would alternate where I would do an episode that was a little bit more research-based, giving you background into what I've been studying to integrate fiber arts into my witchcraft and how I've been studying to integrate witchcraft into my fiber arts. So I've had a lot of wonderful people who wanted to be on the podcast, so I've done more guest-heavy episodes than I have done solo ones. But I figured it was time to do a nice little solo one, and today we would actually just talk about my research process and how I'm investigating this cross-section between witchery and craft. I am really enthusiastic about both topics, so I needed to figure out a way to organize my thoughts on how I was going to investigate this to actually figure things out instead of just kind of randomly crafting and hoping for results or randomly witching and hoping for fiber arts to just exist. It's not going to happen. So today's episode is about my kind of research and development of the content for this podcast. Like I said, I've had really lovely guests that have kind of given me a direction too, which has been really important. So these solo episodes will be more things that I just wanted to talk to you guys about. And as I've mentioned before, season one of this podcast is really laying the framework for myself and anyone else who's going to research and get into this realm of witchery. Today, I've got about five means that I am using to figure out information for this. I've got the historic research, I've got folkloric research, I've got occult book research, and I've got practicing witchcraft. Those are the four that I will be focusing on today. I do have a fifth one, but we'll get to that after I kind of go through the explanation of these other four. So in the realm of historic research, I think that this is kind of easy to guess. It's like we're going to be looking at the history of witchcraft. So there's things like we're going to be getting into it. I feel like I should preface my research process is a lot of reading. I I used to never be a good reader. I think it was one of those Classic situations that in school I was unsure of reading, especially when it came to reading out loud. And also I have probably some sort of undiagnosed issue when it comes to reading. Uh, And it stopped me from reading for a lot of my young life and a lot of my adult life so far. But when I started to date Keenan, we, you know... When you first start dating someone, you both really put on put on a persona of the best version of you. Uh, and Keenan always talked about all these books that they loved. So then pandemic hits. 
And I get really into reading all of these books that Keenan really loves. So then we have things to talk about. And that gave me a like major trajectory change in my adult life. I think having someone else who isn't like a crazy avid reader, but someone who likes books that I had to talk about books with changed the game. And then I was on this like I'm going to read I'm going to obtain knowledge via books which is very new for me uh and then you know as we as we started to date more I would buy Keenan all these different books and it's so funny I think still to this day they're gonna hate that I'm calling them out for this still to this day I'm gonna say 90% of them have gone unread but that's fine because <laughs> they've like we've read books together that we really love and now we do like very different reading i'm almost 100 percent occult based reading at this point and they kind of just read whatever they want and we have a ton of books of different topics uh, i have gotten them a bunch of occult books but then i just end up reading them and then i am like on their backs like hey read that Hey, will you read that? Read that so we can talk about it. Read it. And then when they do read it and they interpret it differently than I do, and I'm such a brat about it, then they just give up. They're like, no, this isn't, I don't, it's no fun. <laughs> I, I think I get like over enthusiastic uh, when I get to talk about them with, with Keenan, which doesn't end up working out in either of our favor. But, you know, they've influenced me that, now they primarily do like audiobooks and things like that because they work at a like a desk and they get to like play podcasts and audiobooks while they're working. So they don't do like physical books as much, which is what we have a lot of in this house. But yes, like I said, the Keenan and I dating and them being a book person changed the trajectory of my being to now I've become very reading focused. I think I talked about this in the first episode. I used to practice without a ton of background research. I was a trial and error or learn from people I knew kind of person. And then I took my long break, got sober, came back to it. And that coincided with the time in my life where I was a reader. And I think, you know, everything kind of aligned perfectly. Where then I could pick up any book and be so excited to get back into the witchcraft world that it got me through like the first month I got back into like reading occult books. I think I read like seven different books and I got like a taste of like, oh, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is something I care about. This is something I don't particularly care about, but I'm still going to read. And I think that, you know, this may not be interesting at all uh, to any of you. But I, I think my how I got to reading um, regularly may, you know, may help some people who were like me for the like 30 years of my life where I barely read because it was just like too overwhelming or I felt like I was too slow at reading or whatever. And now I've like found my place in the book world. I found my pace of like not trying to 
get myself to like have expectations for how much I read at a time or how much I read in a month. Sometimes I'll read seven or eight books in a month and then sometimes I will not pick up a book for the entire time. But when I'm doing that and I have these dry spells where I don't really want to read something, I find myself deeply invested in my practice or deeply invested in sewing. I think that that is just as important in the realm of being a stitch witch that you're devoting time to both the action of fiber arts and the action of witchcraft, whatever that may be. So I think in my day-to-day, I struggle to break things up where it's like of my free time on a Tuesday, I usually won't break it up in being like, oh, I'll read for a couple hours uh, in a different occult book, and then I'll go to the sewing room and pick up a project. It'll be like, I'm going to read this book straight through for, you know, seven days, get it done. And then the next week I'll be like, oh, I've got too many things to sew to even think about reading at all. And we're lucky that in 2023, I can just put on any of the witchcraft or occult podcasts that I love and I can kind of still multitask, but I'm not someone who's going to be able to kind of evenly split up my my day into balancing both occult and my craft. And I think that's fine. I think we've all kind of find our ways that we work and that's just how I work. I'm getting myself back on track a little bit here. I was talking about the historic research angle. So where is that existing for me? It's starting in books on like witchcraft, witches, and pagans. I think that that's something I've been interested in my entire life. Even as a kid, when I wasn't a strong reader, I was still trying to read like these books, these kind of general like books on witches and pagans and that kind of thing that give you a maybe skewed overview of what it is, but it plants the seeds. And now as an adult, I can find the better versions of that because we have such great resources in other people, other podcasts, other witches that just post their favorite books on Instagram, occult stores that have really good book collections. It's easier to find the books. Sorry, I'm realizing my chair is very loud and I don't think I can edit it out under my talking, but bear with me if you can hear it. Occult shops that have a great book selection are such a huge help, um, which I don't think I particularly had before recently. And I just found out, and I'm devastated, that the occult store that I used to go to or have been going to, you know, every week for the last couple of years, they are moving locations and they are going to like you know, a part of town where I never am anymore, uh, as opposed to an like easily accessible location for me now, which is a bummer um, that I'm saying, good, like if anybody is listening, that's a Phoenix local, Fantasia Crystals is moving from their location on 7th Street to uh, like North Phoenix on Bell Road. And I'm very sad to see it go, like out of my it's not even in my neighborhood, but it's just uh, closer to me. Uh, but now I don't know where I'm going to go and buy my incense and candles once a week, which is like, you know, 
something I can get anywhere. But what is going to be devastating is their book selection is fantastic. And they take suggestions all the time. So I am finally maybe going to have to stop buying books and catch up on all the ones that I have not read yet. (laughs) But I think occult shops with good book selections are game changers. You can find books that are in the historic realm and even now books that were maybe more anthropological, um, like Drawing Down the Moon. Now they are historic books uh, because they are, they're dated. They're of a different time frame in the occult world, but one that you can like wade through and pick the pieces that you need. Uh, And another section in the realm of historic, I have books on witch trials. I think that that's important. If you like, even if you don't live somewhere that had distinctly famous witch trials, there probably are witch trials that existed there. After I lived in Salem area, I moved back to Western Mass and I found out that there was like a ton of accused witches in Western Mass too, but they don't get talked about because of the sheer volume of like witches in Salem. That's kind of the Massachusetts uh, like historic moment that everyone does talk about. So like witch trial histories are going to be important. They're going to give you a feel for what the flavor of witchcraft was in a specific reason, region, in a specific time, which is important. Uh, I think that information can easily be taken from this history and you can take it and turn it into something else. Which I, like, another bullet point I have here, which is court records of witch trials as a separate thing to be, like, using as a research tool because books that you're reading on witch trials will have a good amount of information but will usually not have, like, you know, full dictation of, like, how a trial went down, but those do exist. Like, I am currently reading Devil in the Shape of a Woman, which is about the New England witch trials. And one of the main references is just the trial uh, notes from all of the Massachusetts witch trials that happened or all of the Salem ones that happened. And they go in and they quote things specifically from it. And if you were to just go directly to that source, you may find even more information that could be helpful. So I think that those kind of pair together, but I do have them in my mind as separate things like books about witch trials and then actual court documents of real witch trials that happened. I think that those are things that I can and should be utilizing as means of research for this. And honestly, I'm doing this format so that if anyone else is into this journey, I want other people to join in on. I, you know, there I know that there's other people who are interested in this cross-section because they're coming onto this podcast or they are, you know, tagging me on Instagram that they are, this resonates with them. So if other people are wanting to research this, here's kind you can use this framework and join in on the conversation with me i think that the more of us 
figuring this out, the better, the better we'll be. We will acquire more knowledge. But also I think a lot of this can pertain to any topic in the occult world. If you're trying to research one thing, I think a lot of these will still ring true to different areas. And that brings me to the other half of this, which is books on the history of fiber arts or books on fiber arts in general. I just recently acquired a book called No Idle Hands. Actually, let me grab it. A Social History of American Knitting. I found this book at a used like used bookstore and I realized it's like, oh, this is a resource I have yet to tap, which is the history of fiber arts. Something that has existed for so long is obviously going to have a few different magical things just kind of thrown in there that even if you don't see them right off the bat, delving into the history of them might provide a, a different view that shows how magical it is and always has been considered. So like I said, I got No Idle Hands and I'm going to read that one, uh, especially before we have a knitting episode, which I think I will have one coming up in the first season on specifically like just knitting with another uh, knit witch. And I would like to read that book between now and then. So I've got to pick that one up. Uh, but I think that we've got untapped resources in that realm because they aren't thought of as magical. We maybe don't first think to jump into them, but I know that that's a, something I'd like to focus on to be able to bring us more information in this journey. And then my last thing on the historic side is that we should be talking to our elders. Uh, now I am sadly without my grandmothers. Uh, they all passed away before I was settled into Arizona. Uh, but when I was like in the New York time frame still, I didn't have a cross section of time where I was like very focused on the occult and fiber arts at the same time to like try and get any pearls of wisdom from them that might be, you know, kind of, kind of superstitious, kind of occulty that were things that they just did. Because I think even as like good, good religious women, I think that there was most likely some magic integrated into their practices. Both of them knit. Both of them knew how to sew. One of them was like an avid quilter and she was like very well known for it. Uh, and I think that both of them as homemakers in general, I bet that there was a lot of like kind of pseudo magical things that they didn't think of as magical that I never sadly got to absorb from them. So if you are lucky enough to have grandparents that are not, you know, racist or homophobic or, you know, nasty, awful old people, which, you know, sometimes they are. You don't have to really listen to them, guys. Like, but you can listen to any old people that you like. 
and try and absorb some of what they've got. I think it is a, if we exclude our elders that are not even kind of part of our community as not having any potential like insight on this topic, we may lose information that would be a great help to us. So don't do what I did. I like never got that information from my grandmothers. And uh, luckily I did get to learn to like sew and knit through them and my mother. So I'm lucky there. But yes, if you have cool grandparents or old people in your life, talk to them more. Try and figure out how to learn some of their like home spun superstitions or whatever uh, that we can then utilize in this crossroad of fiber arts and witchcraft. Uh, I, it's funny, I have always been, like since I was a kid, I specifically only had friends that were old people. Uh, when I was like a small child, there was, you know, the neighborhood kids, but I feel like I cared more about hanging out with the old ladies that lived in the neighborhood. There was like one older woman who lived across the street and she had like a little sun porch that I'd like go and sit with her and she'd like teach me how to do um, like some some sort of fiber arts. I can't actually super remember. And then there was another um, older woman who lived around the corner. She would always decorate her house uh, for Halloween. And when you trick or treat there, you'd like walk through her house and it was all decorated and everything. And over the years, she like, you know, loved me and I would come over and hang out with her and she would like have the player piano going, which still to this day, I can't wait till I'm rich enough to have a player piano and just get to have that running all day, every day in my home. And she had an antique dollhouse that I would play with. And she was like, all of my friends were old ladies. And I literally was so connected to my grandmother's couldn't couldn't care less about my grandfathers even when I was a kid couldn't care less it was just like yep you're here too but I'm here for grandma um so I've only ever really had a true love of old ladies and I think that that is for sure affected how I exist in this world now like all of my clothing being 80 plus years old and all of my sewing and knitting being antique patterns and all of the old movies I love, which I don't even think I watched old movies with any of these women in my life, but I feel like they all just set a tone that kind of pushed me in this direction. And I am, I, you know, I've been going with it for 30 years and I'm pretty, pretty happy with that now. So I think utilize, utilize the actual people in your lives that even if they are not tied to the occult world, they may still have some information that is fun for us. And I want some like silly from your grandmother who learned it from her mother, who learned it from her mother, superstitions about why you can't use this needle after you've dropped it on the floor, or you can't use this color thread on a Wednesday. Like, I feel like that kind of stuff sounds really exciting to me, even if it is kind of just like, Sounds like nothing because I don't actually have any real examples of this. I'm going to get off this topic because I feel like I will just continue to be sad that I don't. Um, 
I don't have any old ladies in my life here. I wish I went to like an old lady hair salon to get my hair set because then I would at least have some old lady friends. I think that's maybe what's lacking in my life. But now I know it. Who knows? Maybe I can, <laughs> maybe I'll find some old lady friends after this. So after the historic research realm, another one that you can focus on is folkloric research. Folkloric research is, I think, such a big part of witchcraft nowadays. I don't think that it hasn't been in the past, but I think that there's a very big focus on it because everyone has folklore that is tied to them in some way. And what I mean by that is that you'll have the stories you were told as a kid. You'll have stories of a region that you lived in. There was nursery rhymes that your mother said or sang to you. There is family stories that are individual families' own folklore. These are all places that we can deep dive into and see what we can find to utilize in our practice. The most obvious one is kind of this world of fairy tales. A lot of them are stories that have an ending that we are supposed to be getting a lesson from. But I think that lesson isn't always what we need to be pulling from it. I think that there is wisdom in the witches that are probably cursing these princesses or, you know, children or whatever. There's probably some insight into how we could do some sort of uh, witchcraft in our own right. You know, I think that maybe having a gingerbread house isn't going to do much uh, for me especially in the desert, but there may be insight in these that we can pull and use. Like, you know, we can think of, I can think of myself three stories off the top of my head that utilize spinning in it as a magical device or a magical story device. It is Rumpelstiltskin, Sleeping Beauty, which we, you know, all know either the Disney version or whichever, and then there's the wild swans, which is the Hans Christian Andersen story about the princess. And she has to undo a spell by a witch that has turned them into swans. That's three stories right off the top of my head that utilize the art of spinning in a magical way. So the more we dive into that world of storytelling, the more we may be able to find a position that can help us in our witching and fiber arts world. And I for sure need to get more into the this world of research or of reading and enjoyment. I've been looking for a like, you know, one of the big books that has like all of the Hans Christian Andersen stories or something like that. And I do a lot of thrifting for my books, so I just haven't happened upon, like, big books of fairy tales. But once I do, I would like to integrate that into kind of just my daily, like, read one of these stories every day. Learn some new knowledge. See if I can find any, like, little pieces of wisdom to shape my direction in the occult from these stories. I think it just similar to fairy tales, another resource to look into is kind of uh, nursery rhymes. 
they probably hold some you know darker meanings than we're realizing some witchy thoughts if we like haven't fully investigated them like i know i think the Keldon book all of them witches uh has some of this in there and i haven't gotten to that one it's on my to read pile and it's very short so i really should just get that one knocked out of the way but i think that that's something he goes over in there is kind of some of these nursery rhymes which also all of them witches Shout out to anyone who has been following me on the internet that long that remembers my handle being all of them witches because that was pre-severely maim. Uh, I think that has been, yeah, it was pre-severely maim because then I changed my handle to severely maim not long after, I think. So if you've been following me uh, for that long and are listening to my podcast, you are a true fan and I appreciate you. Also, it's funny. I made, when I had my screen name be All of Them Witches, my best friend Olive, I convinced her to change her handle to All of Them Witches. And I thought that was the most clever thing in the world. But I see now that it was. And I'm extremely smart and funny. You're all so welcome for having me. Uh, so nursery rhymes, like I was saying, another really important one, which I kind of talked about this a little bit in the last one is like family stories. This might be less related to what I was talking about in the historic realm of like picking up pearls of wisdom that are maybe kind of superstitious or whatever. This is more the stories of people, uh, you know, your grandmother telling you about her grandmother who was convinced her cows were bewitched or the lady in town that everybody assumed was a witch, but nobody knew why they assumed she was a witch or the, the story of getting a fortune told that came true that has been passed down throughout the family. These stories are important because this is like so potentially personal to your craft, you can integrate this, the spirit of a uncle of your grandmother's that was thought to be a cunning man. If we know these stories, if we know this family folklore, it can then be integrated into our personal crafts. And the same goes for regional folklore. You know, if you live somewhere that has a, I guess, you know, if people call them cryptids nowadays or whatever, uh, or tales of witches that lived where you lived, I think it's important to know and learn these and integrate them into your craft. I think th that I struggle with that here in Arizona, so I find myself investing more in New England-based folklore and history. I think here, a lot of the folklore is either based on indigenous stories that I can, of course, enjoy hearing, but I wouldn't want to integrate that into my craft because it's not mine for the using. It's that of the indigenous people who have lived here. So I think that living in the desert, I 
don't want to take what isn't mine in the realm of like folklore and try and integrate it into my practice. So instead I focus on New England, where I'm from, where my family lived for a few generations. I've followed my family line back to other parts of the U.S., like the Pennsylvania Dutch area, and then back to Germany, back to France, like Wales, all these different areas. Um, but New England specifically is where I, I have focused also because I plan for Keenan and I to move back to New England and then this will be my current, you know, land folklore. So I think that I could probably learn lessons from my local folklore, but I fear treading on things that aren't mine for utilizing them. I don't want to like accidentally integrate that or purposefully integrate that into my practice and think that it is mine for the using. So like I said, the regional folklore here in Arizona doesn't work its way into my practice as much, and I do have a deeper focus on New England uh, stories. But that was that's kind of the folkloric section that I was talking about. And then there is occult books. I think that that's an easy like thought process of why we would be using occult books to research an occult topic. But... Uh, I have, I was just talking about regional, like, stories, and I was talking about history before that. And in the world of occult books, there is books that I call regional books that kind of take the, the focus of one specific area and give you the history. They give you, like, spells. They give you rituals. They give you folklore. They give you fact and, like... They're witch trials. Like I feel like the like Gemma Gary and a lot of the Troy books feel like regional books or are regional books. And those are important to people who live in that region, but can be utilized by those of us outside of it. Like I know when I'm reading through different Gemma Gary or different Troy books, I have my little like post-it tabs that I put in where somebody mentions using a sewing pin, where somebody mentions using red thread, where somebody mentions uh, your sewing shears and using those in a spell. Like, I tag all of those pages. Because even though, you know, I'm not living in Cornwall reading this Cornish book of ways, I can still pull information from it. But regional books, I think, are going to be important. I wish that there was a book specifically to like Massachusetts and New England witchcraft and there isn't in this sense of like these Troy books like I'm talking about but I know that in the New World witchery there is a focus on New England in the oh gosh I can't remember what the newest one uh that goes with that book series is but there's a New England section in that one too but I would love if there was just a book about New England witchcraft specifically that was this kind of mix of historic, folkloric, and like spells and rituals, like the Troy books for different parts of the UK. And then there's spell books. And spell books aren't super my focus. Like, you know, you can go to the store and buy one book that just has like page after page of like sections of spells. 
that's not really my focus at this point in my life. It for sure was when I was a teen first figuring this out. And I think that there is for sure merit to that. And it can be immensely useful. But for me at this current juncture, it isn't. Like I feel like you can work backwards utilizing spells or reading a book that is just of spells by being like, this herb is used here. The same herb is used here and the same as herb the same herb is used here, but they're for three different things. And you need to work backwards to figure out why this one herb can be used for all of those. And I think that can provide you information. So I feel like this is totally a great way to work if it works for you. I can do that in the world of like sewing and knitting. I can kind of like look at something finished and work backwards to be like, oh, okay, this pattern piece, which I'm a terrible pattern maker, I have zero experience, but I can be like, oh, this is this kind of shape. This is this one. I can work backwards in that way. But I do better reading books that are more like, here is the information about this herb. Here's where it comes from. Here's like why we use it this way. That is more like valuable to me currently. So spell style books aren't really what I do a lot of reading of, but you know, we've all flipped through or have that like giant Judica Isles book. And, you know, we could, I could probably find a million mentions of thread, needles, sewing tools, knitting tools, yarn, whatever. I could go through that and probably find a ton of sewing references and then, you know, try and backtrack, figure out where they come from, figure out why this thing is used here. And that could be a, a valuable resource in resource in this hunt for witchcraft and fiber arts crossover. So that is something that I f- should utilize in the future and all of us could utilize. And then also instructional style books. That's another one. Um, like I have a book on chord magic that it doesn't give you distinct spells or rituals it just kind of breaks down a practice of like this is how this thing is done and like i was using the example of the chord magic book it breaks down some of the basic ideas some of the more advanced ideas some of the ideas for reversals or things in that realm specifically this one on chord magic i thought would be a good one to read to incorporate into my spinning because in this book you utilize like spinning a fiber that already exists as like a cord or a thread spinning it into like certain directions and getting like these twists and stuff like that to use them as magical like pieces charms curios whatever and books like that are important because they're going to have a good instructional perspective of like maybe not why these things are connected but like here's a basis of like how to do this and then you can make it magical in your own way or you can figure out why the methods that are used are magical and I think that that's a great uh, great example the last of the four ways that I was talking about is practicing witchcraft it's the it's probably the most important part of this and 
maybe the one that I struggle with the most. And here's, like I, I do witchcraft every day in that I take time to be with the ancestors on my ancestor altar. I take time to be with the nature spirits in my like outdoor area. But sometimes I'm not someone who's like casting spells every day. So that's something I need to be more active at. I need to be, if I'm sewing something, I always like collect my threads. I remember in one of the books I've read, it talks about using little bundles of loose threads, putting them in a spirit house, uh, especially if you're dealing with like noisy spirits in your house. You can put the ball of threads into a spirit house and that will give these spirits something to focus on is like untangling the threads to keep them, you know, from banging around on your doors and like windows and creaking on the floors. They're occupied. They're doing something that's for them. So I always save my threads and I keep it just in jars and, you know, give them to other people who maybe have noisy ghosts or whatever. So I... I need to find more ways to integrate witchcraft into my practice. And I was going to have this episode uh, originally before I wanted to go over how I'm researching. I was thinking about maybe doing like a June Bride episode because I'm getting married this year and I am making all of my outfits and my partner Keenan's outfits. So I've been looking into like what some of the superstitions that comes along with making these things. And since the June Bride is so classic, I thought, oh, maybe I'll make it into an episode. But I realized that's not like a topic that everyone's going to be interested in. It's very niche to me right now. Uh, Maybe it's something I'll do specialty for Patreon because I am showing a lot more of uh, the process for wedding stuff over there than I am anywhere else. But uh, yeah, I was... I've looked into like, yeah, superstitions when it comes to sewing a wedding gown and things like that. And I think sometimes I I feel like there's not enough information out there. And I feel like because I am such a new witch in this current return to witchcraft that I don't have as much like self-esteem as I should as a witch to just be like, oh, yes, this is... This is, I've decided, a practice that integrates fiber arts and witchcraft. Uh, I've been able to utilize it for things like spinning, because I think spinning is so inherently magic. But like in my day-to-day sewing, when I'm just sewing a kind of utilitarian cotton dress to wear to work, like why am I not utilizing more witchcraft there? What I have kind of written down for this this, uh, point of like practicing witchcraft You've got to integrate fiber arts into your practice. You've got to integrate witchcraft into your fiber arts. You've got to see what works and you log what does and doesn't work. And that is literally how every type of occult book worth its like worth its weight is done. People come up with something, you know, the term UPG gets thrown around in the occult world online a lot. And I think all of us need to remember that so much of the occult books that we read and hear about and practices that people do 
are literally unproven personal gnosis from some person that then we all just deemed real and ran with it. So you need to practice witchcraft. This is, I'm saying this to myself. Practice witchcraft, write down what you did and then see what works and what doesn't. And then if you want to, you can share that with other people. This is a great way for all of us to kind of figure out what works and what doesn't. Practice witchcraft, share your results. I think that's why things like Patreon have become so wonderful in our current occult world. It gives us the option to share with a maybe limited group of people what we're doing and what the results are. Or what we're doing at least, and maybe, you know, with your spirit contracts and things like that, maybe you can't tell them results or what it's for or whatever, but you can you can share this base idea that you have and we can share things with each other. And I understand that people will like also hold on to some knowledge because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm putting it into a book. I get that. I'm trying to like stop myself. Sometimes I feel like I'm about to like stop myself from saying something because I want to save it for the like inevitable book I'd like to write on fiber arts and witchcraft. But I'm like, nah, like, just just share it. Because even, like, if people are listening and they like this topic and they then have to read the same little piece someday in a book, if I get to write one, I think that no one's going to be mad that I doubled up on the material. But that kind of brings me to the fifth point that I was talking about in the beginning. I didn't list it, but in the intro of this topic, but I'm... I was kind of saving it that like talking to others, talking to other witchcraft practitioners, other fiber artists, that is going to be my biggest point of research here because everyone's views and everyone's practice are going to be so different. There's going to be so many amazing things that we can learn from each other. And that's why I started this podcast. I, for years, kind of avoided the podcast craze because I didn't know what I would do. I didn't know, like, what would make sense for me. I'm not the funniest person in the world. I'm very opinionated, but the things that I do are very visual leaning. You know, I like to do vintage style clothing and hair and makeup. And yes, that could translate into the realm of podcasts, but It just never felt right. And then when I realized that this is something I am so invested in and that other people might care about it, I immediately hit the ground running and got my like 14 episode season planned out and got my framework for how I was going to do this. And I got guests lined up in about like a two week time frame. And I got out the first episode on the plan, the date I planned to. So I feel like I know that talking to people about this topic and me sharing like my experiences is hopefully going to help other people kind of do the same and all of us can grow the world of like stitch witchery or you know whatever you want to call it fiber arts and witchcraft whatever name you give it I think all of us can build this together to be a more re- fully realized uh, practice that us and other people can start to really utilize. And I think that that's really exciting. 
and I want to like take while I'm kind of talking about this, I want to thank all of you for listening thus far. You know, I jumped into this really quickly. I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but I felt like I needed to do it. And the fact that people have responded well to it and that people are listening and sharing feels so important. And it feels so important that I say thank you. And in that, I also would like to thank all of my patrons over on Patreon. I've had some people who have been a part of that Patreon for years and seen every iteration of what it has been. And now I feel like it has a much better focus. I I think I paired this podcast with that and I feel excited about it. And I have been thinking about maybe a return to video format content. So hopefully if I can start getting that going and fit it into my schedule, I will for sure be wanting to do that too because I really do feel like I've like found my place on the internet. I do this, these two things, I'm working on integrating them together and I think that other people will enjoy. So thank you all for listening and being a part of this journey with me and sticking through maybe episodes that seem rambly and long and maybe boring because it's just me talking to you uh, by myself with no guest. If you've made it this far, I really appreciate it. So uh, yeah, I think that the fifth one is maybe one of the most important of like us talking to each other is so valuable and us sharing what we can because I understand there's things that we can't always share with each other, but sharing what we can from our practices with each other to deepen our relationships with these arts is so important and exciting. Uh, So like I said, I just want to thank all of you for being a part of this. Uh, If you want to check out my social media, you can find me on Instagram at severelymaim. And if you want to join the Vintage Stitch Witch Coven, you can Go over to patreon.com slash severelymaim and join in. Get some exclusive looks into the projects that I'm doing. Help vote on topics and guests for the future here on the podcast. Uh, And then, like I mentioned earlier, there will also be quite a bit of wedding stuff coming up on there. Especially because we're, you know, about six months out. Uh, I've got a lot of work to do. So you can watch and help contribute to all of those things by becoming a patron over on my Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash severelymame. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where I will have a guest again. In the meantime, stay stitching and please uh, make sure to tag me in your crafts if you are listening and making at the same time.